Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. Well, today, Holly, I know it's not yet camping season. Yes. But we are the podcast that tells about scary stories around the campfire. I've heard that about us, yeah. So guess what I'm going to talk about today? What? Some of the scariest camping experiences people have had. And you, my dear listeners, will be glad you are listening to these stories in the safety of the city apartment or your warm cozy home instead of outside in the woods unless you are outside in the woods well, right now well then you are welcome well then you're welcome good, not, good luck sleeping tonight yeah. because it's gonna really be difficult especially because carol will be outside your tent with a flashlight oh yeah i'm i'm everywhere with my flashlight i don't go anywhere without it tear tip number one don't forget your flashlight don't leave home without your flashlight that's right now, most of these stories are from Reddit forums, one of my favorite places to hang out. Cool. Thank you very much. Now, the first one is by a writer who goes by the handle, I hate New York. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these handles oh, are the awesome. The scary forests of New York. I That's totally right. Get it. <laughs> but this story actually takes place in Beartooth Wilderness in Ooh. the early 2000s. And I think that's in Montana. Beartooth I think it's in part of Montana and Wyoming. Okay. I think the mountains cross over the range of both I'm, states. I'm a Twitter with anticipation. This okay. sounds great so far. Yes. Uh, he was, anyway, so the, the poster said he was backpacking with a good friend, and they were about three days into the hike when they had really only seen one other couple, so it's pretty remote place, sounds like. On the third night at about 4 a.m., they were woken up as they were sleeping in their tent to horrible screaming noises in the forest. Uh-oh. Uh-uh. I hate that when I that happens. Too. I do, too. Wolves are fine, but screaming noises no. are not. No. Now, they both said it was so scary, they were just sitting in the tent trying to figure out what to do. Then they described what sounded to them like large hail coming down around them for about 15 minutes. Wow. And after that, a lot of heavy footsteps stomping around in their camp. Uh-oh, was that animals? I don't know. So hoping to scare away anything that was there, they started yelling loudly and making lots of noise. And after a while, all the sounds finally stopped. And I'm like envisioning this, like where they saying, we have a big knife in here, we're sharpening. <laughs> the next morning after no sleep, they unzipped the tent and saw one of the most unsettling views of their camp. All around them were thousands of little pebbles that they said were not there the night before. Hmm. And even more weird, surrounding their tent in a perfect circle was about 20 large boulders, each weighing between 150 what? to 300 pounds. Whoa, that's amazing. That's just like so awful and so terrifying. Like, how did it get there? Aliens. Yeah. The camper said, quote, my friend and I noped out of there, making a three-day hike into one, practically running the entire way back oh, to the car. Wow, that's that's amazing. Well, that's a Bigfoot thing, right? It's not yeah. a Bigfoot reference because they like boulders. They do, and yeah. they like. Um, I don't know if they like making geometrical shapes with boulders, but it is does sound like a Bigfoot thing. Heavy footsteps. Yeah, yeah. pebbles. 
I, I don't know about the pebbles. I don't either. <laughs> I'm not sure what But that's maybe about. they were like breaking apart a cliff and the pebbles were coming down as they were picking up boulders from maybe. up above and then carrying them down to yeah. place around. But I thought it was interesting that it was around a circle around there, almost like they're marking their territory. So Creepy. was the tent in the middle of the circle? Mm-hmm. So next story is by Paul, Dr. Paul Centeno. Dr. Paul Centeno tells a strange tale of a woman suffering from a nervous system issue called hemiplegia. I swear, these stories, they always challenge us with words, don't is that, they? Is that a thing? It is. Hemiplegia? Yeah, so this is a condition that causes extreme weakness or paralysis in only one side of the body. In explaining her symptoms, she told him that she was out hiking with some friends in the woods when they came across an unusual-looking cabin where people were dressed in old-fashioned clothing and flickering torches were placed around the borders. Mm, I like it. Yeah, she said the whole scene seemed a bit unworldly or magical, and she described this incredible urge to keep walking toward the cabin. Cool. So strong was the pull that despite warnings from her friends to stop, she kept wanting to go further, even past the border of the torches, and they had to physically pull her back. Wow. Once they got her away, she noticed that the area of her body that was closest to the cabin had somehow been affected, resulting in paralysis of that side of her body. Oh, interesting. Okay. After further examining, Dr. Centeno said... He and the woman both concluded it must have been a vortex of energy that somehow affected her nervous system. Huh. I'm wondering, could it have been another dimension she was seeing? That's what I'm thinking, yeah. That's and it was what a, I think. And it messed up her nervous system mm-hmm. because of it. Mm-hmm. And plus, this was in the woods, right? Mm-hmm. So the woods have the reputation for having those vortexes that you can walk into and you disappear into another time. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I think you're right. I think she probably was looking at something in another dimension for sure. Um. <laughs> <laughs> good job. Glad <laughs> Glad we solved that puzzle. Yeah, yeah, that's taken care of. Okay, good. All right. So next. now, next, <laughs> the next creepy campfire story also involves lit torches. And you will love this one, Holly. Yay. Because guess where it takes place? Uh, Portland, Oregon. Hawaii. Yay. I love Hawaii. Aloha. Us- yeah, aloha. User Truven posted his story about nine years ago, mm-hmm. but it was on a Reddit forum stating he was out camping in the Pololu Valley, Valley po- Poyoyu Valley. I probably am not saying yeah, it right. Yeah, that sounds right. Which is <laughs> no idea. <laughs> which is on which is on the Big Island, and said their camping trip was cut short when they found two large centipedes. In and outside of their tent, crawling around. Nope. I, nope. You know, I guess centipedes are just a thing to fear. Anyhow, Bye-bye. this was just too much for them. So they decided to pack up and leave, hiking out of there at around 3 a.m. <gasps> Ew. Yeah. So you think a witch sent them the centipedes? I don't know. But mm. folks, that is bad news. Don't ever venture out at that time of night. Just don't. They said after getting to the top of the trail, they took a break, sat down, and looked along the coastline several valleys up from where they had been camping and saw around 20 torchlights moving in a line up the treacherous cliffs and edges of the valleys. Cool. They both thought it was really creepy because not only is it also impossible to hike in that area, but anyone that would be out there like a search party 
um, they would have been wearing headlamps or using flashlights, not burning tiki torches. Right. Yeah. So this reminds me of kind of a paranormal urban legend of Hawaii where they talk about the Hawaiian night marchers. Right. I've heard of them. Yeah. And uh, I'm not... I'm not familiar with how the whole story goes, but mm -hmm. if you want, you can look up Hawaiian night marchers and maybe see the correlation. Maybe, um, maybe yeah. it's them. Maybe they were maybe seeing the, the ghosts yeah. Yeah. of ancestors past. Yeah, very cool. Nice. So the next camping story is from, again, a Reddit user, Mr. Curtis Lowe, who recounts his story from when he was around 12 years old. He describes his family living in a really remote wooded area and one day he was out eating his lunch on his porch. He said it was mac and cheese. Good, <laughs> good memory. Good memory. And noticed something really strange in the woods right in front of where he was looking. Apparently, he often would sit on his porch and look at the same spot while he was eating his lunch. So he immediately knew something was not right. And this is a direct quote from his story. Probably about 150 feet in front of our house was a giant black mass. Wow. At first, I thought it may be a black bear, as they are fairly common here. Being the adventurous kid I was, I went to investigate. Well, obviously, this guy was not the same guy that was scared of centipedes. No. <laughs> Very different people. A, def a different storyteller. <laughs> as I got close to it, I could see that it was actually a giant burnt black stump with roots oh. and all. Wow. It had been totally scorched, so the entire thing was pitch black. And it was massive. It easily weighed 200 pounds. End of quote. But he goes on saying nobody had ever cut down the trees in the area recently. And definitely uh, they hadn't burned any trees. And if they had, I mean, they would have smelled them because it was like only like 200 yards in front of his house. So. Right, right. After showing the stump to his mother, she just blew him off. And he went back the next day after school taking his dogs with him. And despite knowing exactly where the spot was, the 200-pound tree stump just had vanished. Really? Yeah. Oh, there was no evidence of tracks or drag marks, nothing that would indicate someone removed the stump. I think it's Bigfoot again needing a footrest. <laughs> <laughs> or it's and another dimensional thing he's it, seen. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that weird? It is so weird. So his mother kind of blew him off, but one of the comments asked, you know, what did your dad think about this whole thing? Yeah. And he said his dad didn't say much, but he noticed his dad um, brought the shotgun in to the house and, like, kept it in the room huh, with them. Really? Yeah, after that for so a while. So he was a little weirded out by it, too, then. I think he was like. really weirded out that yeah. something was going on. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know, I'd be a little freaked out, too. Yeah. Especially after it disappears like that. That's crazy. Yeah. This next story uh, comes from Florida. Florida. And this poster said, I was on a big camping trip with my friends at Swanee River Music Park in Florida. My sister and I decided to go off and explore some trails around 11 p.m. Because, you know, that's what you do. That's the best time to go in the pitch black <laughs> <laughs> where the bears are out looking for you. I think she must have. I mean, she must have meant 11 a.m. Maybe I wrote that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope 11 a.m. because that um, would be a best yeah. time to go looking around the Okay, trail. disregard that. It was 11 a.m. when she went off exploring some trails. The alligators were all waiting. Yeah. 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 So there was a, a trail connected to the one she said they were on. But there was yellow tape strung up between two trees at the entrance. They decided to go in anyway. Yeah, girl. Yeah. Do they, it. They what, were not scared. What yellow tape? Yeah. Not keeping me out of here. 
So see, it must have been during the day because I don't think at night they would have seen the color. But yeah. anyway, about 15 steps onto the trail, they both hear clear as day, unmistakably, their mother's voice saying, Honey, why is your nose bleeding? Our mother was not on this trip with us. So it was very unsettling, and we turned around to see nothing. Being kind of spooked, we both started to head back to the main trail. And a few minutes later, her sister came down with a nosebleed. That's like some kind of psychic connection, I think, right? Yeah, and it was it caused them to turn back around. Yeah. So I wonder if they would have been in danger if they had kept going. Maybe. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Mom. I wonder if they called their mom and were like, hey, um, were you watching us with your crystal ball or something? How did you know we were in this trail? And how did you know that her nose was going to bleed? I know. And, you know, I, I would get random nosebleeds a lot, especially mm. in Colorado where it was drier climate. Yeah. But I never heard my mom's voice. <laughs> Maybe your mom just doesn't love you as much as this other woman I know. Did. This is probably what it was. <laughs> I'm pretty much thinking that. <laughs> Because she could have, mom. She could have forewarned me a couple yeah. of times. I didn't have Kleenex. It was yeah. really hard to like yeah. grab my sleeve and yeah. like. She could have just said, "Carol, shove it up my nose." Your nose. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mom. Thanks for nothing. Another grievance. <laughs> Add it to the list. I did have an incident happen in in junior high where I was sneaking over. I went to a boarding school and I was sneaking over from the girls' dorm to the boys' dorm. Of course, you were. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was running through a a thunderstorm, which is probably not smart. And I thought I was pretty fast running, and I thought I could make it to the other side safely. But I I went through an um what was like an obstacle course, which they had set up for like gym class. Mm-hmm. And it had these rubber tires and metal swings. And so you're running through and an obstacle course during a <laughs> lightning storm to get to the boys' dorm. You had to go buy it. And I just thought, let's have some fun <laughs> while I'm... Meanwhile, while there's I'm... lightning in the sky there and is. thunder and torrential rain. You're like, oh, these tires look great. <laughs> yeah. And um, let's just say I heard this like this sizzle. And the next thing I know, I'm flat on the ground. The rain has stopped. Ooh. I smell burning all around me. And I'm like, holy fuck, what just happened? Did you get struck by lightning? I don't think so. But I like got up and just started booking. I was so terrified. <laughs> and You know uh, what that was? That was God saying, Carol, <laughs> you do not need to go to the boys' dorm. Except for I ran straight there. <laughs> you were not going to be deterred. I was not going to be deterred. But my hair, my hair... Uh, I think got curly after that. Like, I my hair is now Natural more curl. curly. And um, it's some other today. Did you iron it? I did iron yeah, it. Looks really good. Thanks. Like Thanks. Um, over the years now, I've noticed I've had problems with electrical stuff. So maybe I absorbed Weird. some of the energy in the air. <sighs> I think what happened, really, if I think about it, probably the lightning was very close to me, and it probably hit like something on the obstacle course but not me right but i was you're close enough to be affected by it and i got knocked Mm, out right that's how powerful it was you're lucky it didn't kill you (laughs) you're lucky it didn't kill you because people die from lightning strikes yeah Yeah. okay that was a big segue but um hopefully you guys found that entertaining yes west bronco 75 I like that. He must be from Colorado. Sounds like it, yeah. How coincidental. (laughs) Uh, He writes that his scout troop was on a backpack uh, camping trip at some scout ranch in New Mexico. 
And as they were... <laughs> what? That what? was so funny. I wish you guys could see Carol. She just kind of flipped her head like, oh, New Mexico. <laughs> Whatever. That state down there. Whatever. Uh, they were getting to a campsite called Clear Creek right after a thunderstorm passed through. They were getting all their gear and clothes to dry out by the campfire, and they had noticed that a tent stake bag with several aluminum tent stakes in it was swinging back and forth on a nearby branch of a tree, Hmm. and they described it was about five feet up from the ground. Um, They said the wind at this time was not blowing at all as the storm had ended, and yet it was continuing to swing back and forth, Weird. even causing the branch to move. Ew. So they said nothing in the area was moving but that yeah. bag. Yeah. And so after getting up to stop it from swinging, they all saw it again start <gasps> back up and Uh-oh. start swinging back and forth in one direction only. But because it was so late, um, even though it was very strange, they all just decided to go to bed. The next morning when they got up, the bag... Was still swinging. And again, no wind. There wasn't a squirrel in the bag running back and forth. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Let's talk about these theories because um, I think because they were metal tent stakes, Mm -hmm. maybe there was some sort of magnetic magnetic energy from the storm left over. Oh, maybe. That was affecting the bag. But But why would it just go in one direction only? Oh, a ley line. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's a good. That's a I good really theory. like your squirrels in the bag. Theory, I think so though. too, but but ley line would make more Lay, sense. Ley line. Okay, <laughs> that squirrel's gonna anyway. get tired eventually, and he's gonna want to rest, and the bag would stop moving. <laughs> but with a ley line, it's just gonna keep going. I like it. So the next few stories are not paranormal in nature, but I have to end with them because they were are still scary and very goosebumpy worthy. Okay. You know, Holly, I used to be in Girl Scouts for a couple years. So mm-hmm. that scout story reminded me of this. And yeah. one time my troop was doing an overnight camping event around the Garden of Gods, Garden of the Gods, you know, with the kissing camels, the red stones, all the... Is that a Colorado reference? Yeah, Garden of the Gods. I've never heard of that. Anyway, it's I'm an Oregonian, but sorry. All right. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, during the day, we all had fun riding horses, learning about chipmunks and other things that Girl mm-hmm. Scouts do for their badges. But that evening, we all gathered around the campfire and we're playing a game of telling a ghost story with a ball of twine. Do you know how to play that game? No. Where were you as a child? I didn't play that. We you smoked weed have... when I was oh. <laughs> This is Oregon after all. <laughs> Actually, the name just, of the uh, outdoor school I went to as a kid was Camp Arowana. What? No joke. A, no. not M, but Arowana. So everybody went up there and was like, oh, I guess what, what should we do here? Oh, Lord. <laughs> so, times. so No twine was had in Camp Arowana. So, okay. So I'm going to explain this. Okay. Unless it was so, hemp twine. <laughs> no. You can do it with a ball of yarn. I don't remember if it was twine or yarn, but basically what they do is they like have Like you're this... spinning a yarn. It's exactly that. That's cool. Only, um, okay, so how it goes is you have this big ball of yarn, Mm -hmm. and every few feet or yards, um, you'll randomly find a knot in the ball of twine. Okay. And they roll it back up again before they play the game. Mm -hmm. So when you're telling your story in the dark, you keep telling the ghost story until it hits the knot. Okay. And then you pass the ball of yarn to the next person so in the circle. Those of you who can't see Carol, she's she's basically doing this motion with her fingers where she's feeling along the twine until she gets to the knot. That's right. So she's talking as you're telling your story, you're feeling along the twine and then you get to a knot and you pass it on to the next person. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Got it. <clears throat> nice. 
For those of you who aren't visual, there you go. And for those of you who haven't played this this wicked game. <laughs> if you do it too fast, you get rope burns. Oh, Just a warning. There you Terror go. tip. Terror tip. So, okay. So this was going around the circle. It hadn't gotten to me yet. Um, but we noticed that the ghost story was really not so much about a ghost, but about a creepy man dressed in a black trench coat who kept appearing to the girls throughout the day. And so this character became the focus of their creepy story they were all telling okay. around the sto- around the campfire. Okay. So when the ball of twine came to the scout leader, she just stopped the game and told everyone they were going to be calling our parents to come pick us up and they no longer felt like we were safe camping overnight in the park. Park. Wow. Um, and then they confessed that they um, were informed by park officials that a flasher was reported in the area wearing a long trench coat, but had mm. never been caught. Uh-oh. They weren't too worried about it anymore because there had been no sightings of him for at least three weeks. Okay. So they thought either <clears throat> he moved on or had no longer, was nev- not a, a dangerous thing anymore. Okay. Um, but obviously the scout leader and the few moms attending because of that decided not to get us scared by telling us that. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, after hearing about all the creepy trench coat ghost man story, um, they decide not to take any chances <laughs> and send us all home. Nice. Yeah. Isn't that freaky? It is a little freaky. So like you're, you're all talking and all of a sudden everybody's talking about the same character. Yeah. Like... Everybody's talking about that. We all know the guy. Yeah. The one with oh, the yeah. trench coat. The black trench coat creepy guy that was yeah. following us. <laughs> it was odd. He had nothing else on, but yeah. just that trench coat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't remember if he flashed any money. I don't think so. Hmm. But anyway, um, I'm going to end with two more stories mm-hmm. that are also not paranormal, but scary as a big hell no. And this next one, Holly, this one is also especially for you. Okay, good. The username Unlimited Dana. Okay. I really like that username. It's very Tony Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she talks about going camping with her cousins when she was a kid. And saying their family would always go to the same camp every summer. But one year, the camp they visited was so full, they had to rent the last cabin available, which she said was a good 40-minute walk from the main area. You know how kids are playing outside until dinner time? Uh Uh-huh. Well, this one day, they said they played much longer than usual, and they had to walk back to the cabin in darkness. Oh, God, yeah. Scary, scary. 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 Yeah. They all debated taking the long walk on a well-used path or, dum-dums, take a steep shortcut up a small hill, which they had done many times during the day, but it meant they would have to crawl using their hands and knees to avoid falling down. Uh Uh-oh. Well, then she continues saying, quote, We had done this a ton of times, but never at night. When we reached the middle part of the hill, we felt them. Them? Dozens of tarantulas. Yeah! Coming out of their nests. No! Which were located on the hill face. Okay, Carol, no. We couldn't stand up. (laughs) Oh, my God. Because we would fall or make the person next to us fall. We had to keep climbing while they crawled all over our arms and Ew, our legs. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, my we God. We couldn't oh God. even scream. No. Because we feared no. if we screamed, they would get into our mouths. Oh, God. End quote. Oh, God. No. Okay, I she's... would have a heart attack. Yep. 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 Oh, God damn it. That is terrifying. So now you never know. Don't oh, go up any God. hills because it could be the one. Jeez. I'm just not going to go off any well... <laughs> 
done hiking path in the woods. I'll just stay on those paths. Yeah. So she she ends the story saying they did all make it finally to the top of the hill, oh, but they each had to like help shake off all the spiders. Just they like even in the had beginning to, of Raiders of the Lost Ark. When yep. you have to, oh. <laughs> they even had to comb fingers through their hair oh. to get them all out. Oh, God. I mean, ghosts in the trees. Yeah. Freaky. Weird noises and bears in the forest. Yeah. Very scary. But spiders, spiders. crawling all nope. over you as you hike. Nope. No, no. Nope. Double no. No. Yeah, I would definitely die. No. I would die of a heart attack. So she was sure that they were tarantulas, not some kind of like um, Brazilian wandering spider, perhaps? I guess in the area that they were at, there's tarantulas. So maybe they knew that, but they didn't think about that. They didn't probably think about that. Uh, Um, Because you don't see them during the day. They're nocturnal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's one of the reasons like I would love to visit Australia but then I think about the spider situation and I'm like you know what I think I'm okay up here for my final super creepy campfire scary story Mm. this is posted by Dr. Jim Danger he relays a story when he was 18 needing to get away with some friends on a road trip to the Apalachicola (laughs) (laughs) that was pretty good the Apalachicola okay I don't even know the Ap- Apalachicola National Forest outside of Tallahassee, Florida? Sure, yes. Anyway, he was getting away with some friends on a road trip to the National Forest somewhere outside of Tallahassee, Florida, but we can't pronounce the name. I think it's <laughs> Apalachicola or Pepsi. Yeah, I'll just call depending it pe- on if Pepsi you Cola. like Pepsi Cola <laughs> Forest. Yeah. <laughs> they set up camp in the deepest part of the woods. After getting settled, he and a friend decided to explore the area around their camp, finding a trail and starting down the path. (laughs) After a few minutes, the trail came to another campsite where an older man seemed to be living out of his van. They saw a golden retriever relaxing out front and a clothesline strung up, and then they decided they would probably turn around and hope to not be seen. But the old man saw them and called for them to come over. <laughs> come on over here, kids. Come on, kids. I'm totally harmless. I'm just an old man living out of my van. Just come on over That's here. That's right. Gather around the fire. Don't mind that my van's windows are all blacked out. It's totally <laughs> cool. And yeah, I know I took all the seats out of the back so I could lay down. Why don't you go on in there and yeah. see what I got? He sounded friendly and asked polite questions about what interested them and offered suggestions of some places to see and things to do in the park. They said the conversation only lasted for about 10 minutes, after which they made their way back to the campsite. Nothing else seemed off about the trip, but two months pass, and he gets a call from his friend telling him to turn the television on. There on TV was a picture of the same man they met in the woods that night, arrested for committing several murders. Wow. How terrifying would that be? That is scary. To know that you were talking with a serial killer. So was he killing people he knew or was he killing random people? Uh, you know, I don't know. Mm. That'd be interest- That'd interesting That'd be really to find, to find out. out if he was just out there killing random people because then they would easily have been victims. I know it was, over, I think it was like three or four people. So I, you know, unless it was an entire family he killed or Maybe. something. Wow. Then he probably was. Oh, that's creepy. I'm kind of hungry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those are good stories. Yeah. Very thank good you stories. so much.
So, Holly, give it to me. What do you have? <laughs> <laughs> that sounded really dirty. Yeah. Do you have some good good stuff to share at I, Camp, Camp Wanayana? Camp Arawana. Camp Arawana. It is up in the Mount Hood National Forest, if you really must know. Okay. And that will be important for no reason whatsoever in my coming stories. Um, so, well, we were talking about doing creepy camping stories, and I I went down a little different path. Carol, what do you imagine is the scariest thing that can happen to you in the woods? For me, besides tarantulas falling out of trees oh into God. my hair. Um, That's probably the worst thing. Actually, yes. tarantulas don't live in trees. But um, I think the scariest thing would probably be getting lost, mm-hmm. not being able to find my way back. Yep. Well, I'm glad you said that. Okay. Because I, too, believe getting lost in the woods would be like the worst thing that could happen to you. It because would. it would be... Like, if you don't know, like, we should really have information on this episode about what to do if you do get lost in the woods. But I'm pretty sure you're supposed to stay exactly where you are. Oh. And eventually someone will come and find you. Hopefully a bear doesn't beat them to you. Well, I saw the Blair Witch Project. Oh, my God. (laughs) That was so scary. I thought that was a legitimately scary movie. I know a lot of people thought it was stupid. but It just made me throw up. The camera was moving so so much. But um, it was was very scary. But I do remember one thing from the movie, and it said, if you're ever lost in the woods, the whole group was trying to find a river. Right. Because the river will lead you out unless you're in a canyon and then you're just going to die down there. So in honor of our topic of creepy camping stories, I'm doing people who go missing in the woods under strange circumstances. I think that it's a good fit for our camping stories um, because you're never truly safe. Whether you're in the city or whether you're in the woods, you're never really truly safe, right? Right. There's always something out there. It's always that you don't know. You're always being stalked. I got the majority of my information from a YouTube channel called Mr. Ballin. That is funny. Which is a great name for a YouTube channel, it's isn't it? It's great. So He's funny. Ballin. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Anyway, Mr. Ballin got his content from the famous Missing 411 books that author and investigator David Politis has created, which are super compelling and filled with some creepy and bizarre stories of people who end up missing in the woods. Mm-hmm. So please check out Mr. Ballin on YouTube and the Missing 411 books, as well as the Missing 411 documentary that is also out on YouTube. First up on my stories is Keith Parkins. Have you heard this one? Mm-mm. On April 10th, 1952, a two-year-old named Keith Parkins was playing in his grandparents' barn in Ritter, Oregon, which is kind of out in um, like Eastern Oregon, kind of central, but just below like Pendleton, that that area. Um, His mother called him and his older brothers in to eat lunch. His older brothers appeared at their mother's request, but Keith did not. They told their mother that Keith had gone around the back of the barn. So his mother went out to look for him and could not find him. Then panic set in. She alerted everyone she could find and the search began. 200 people showed up to search for Keith. They spread out in a line and started walking and calling his name. They searched and searched well into the evening and all night. It was cold outside with patches of snow on the ground. So having a two-year-old out all night in cold conditions was really not good. Not that he should be out all night anyway, but you know, even when it's really cold out, that's bad. A two-year-old, yeah, that would be... 
Yeah. So sad. So scary. Yeah. Right. At some point, some of the searchers found footprints that matched Keith's footprints about three miles northeast from where he disappeared near some cows that were out grazing in a field, but still no sign of Keith. The next morning, searchers finally do discover Keith, but he is now five miles northwest. What? Five miles? A two-year-old. Uh-huh. Of where the footprints were, were at. He is found lying face down in the snow with his jacket and hat lying beside him, but he is alive. Oh. Yeah. He is 12 miles away from where <gasps> he was last seen, and he has a big scratch or scratches on his face. Weird. He claimed that a cat had scratched him. So everyone's assuming maybe there was a mountain lion out there. Oh, that carried him off? Perhaps, maybe. That makes sense. So he's flown to a hospital in Pendleton, Oregon, and recovered from his frostbite. Today, he is alive and well at 68 years old. He has no memory of the event, so he has no idea what happened or how he ended up out there. And how long was he missing? Um, About 20 hours. Oh, wow. So the questions that come up around this case is how does a two-year-old travel the distance of over 12 miles through rough, uneven, hilly terrain? There were no marks in his clothes. There was no blood. So if it had been an animal, there was no evidence of that. He did have some rips in his pants from going through barbed wire fence. Hmm. But there was no indication that an animal had taken him away. A skilled outdoorsman tried to cover the same distance that Keith did in the same 20-hour window of time that Keith was missing, and he couldn't do it. So how does a wow. two-year-old do it? Like, if a grown man can't do it, how does... Because he's going over a very uneven, like, it's kind of rough and rugged right. out there. So how does a two-year-old accomplish that? Also, how does he not get picked off by an animal or die of hypothermia? Like, if a, if a mountain lion is going to take a two-year-old kid, don't you think they're going to eat said kid? Like, why would you carry it all the way out there and then just never eat it? Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it sounds like somebody abducted him. When they found him, his jacket and hat were off. Um, so there's speculation that, um, somebody took it off of him, like took off his jacket and his hat. But when you're suffering from hypothermia, your body will heat up with hot flashes and it's natural. Like a lot of people who freeze to death are found without their clothes on because they get so hot. Isn't that weird? So I'm thinking that he probably had hypothermia and he was getting really hot and he took it off himself. I would assume a two-year-old could probably figure that out, but I don't know. I don't have children, so I'm guessing. (laughs) It depends on the two-year-old, right? Right. But yeah, Yeah. I think they could take off their own coat and hat. So I do have... Especially if it has Velcro. Right. (laughs) Well, this is the 1950s, so probably not. That's right. I'm always uh, amazed that technology is not the way it was back then as it is now. I forget. (laughs) So I do have a theory of what may have happened to Keith. Are you going to say aliens? Uh, Well, maybe. Um, (laughs) But do you want me to tell you? Yes, of course. About three hours southeast of Ritter, Oregon is Malheur Butte. Have you heard of this place? Malheur? Malheur. M-A-L-H-E-U-R Butte. No, I haven't. Malheur Butte is an extinct volcano in Ontario, Oregon that has a reputation for hauntings, witchcraft, and mysterious creatures that, according to PuzzleBoxHorror.com, are, quote, terrifying imp-like creatures that appear out of the shadows to chase visitors away. Imp. 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 Yeah. Like a troll or something. Yeah. Like impish. Yeah. Like a little devil-ish. Ew. Yeah. 
reportedly with the appearance similar to small black dogs with long skinny limbs, oversized heads, and dark empty pits where eyes should have been. End quote. That's how they're described. That is super scary. Isn't that creepy? <laughs> the website also says that mysterious sounds are heard coming from the butte that are attributed to these creatures. So my theory is that one of these creepy things wandered over to Ritter one day and perhaps took Keith with it, which is perhaps how he ended up traveling so far so fast. I think that makes sense. I mean, if you're two, how much does that weigh? Like how much does a two-year-old weigh typically? Like 60 pounds? Some, I'd say less than that. Less than that, 40 pounds. Mm-hmm. So if you're a mountain lion, you'd have to pick it up with your mouth and then run somewhere yeah. by the cows and, the, and then and drop the them off and let them walk around a little bit and then pick them back up and then run over to the side. And then, you know what? After all this work, I'm not that hungry. Good luck to you. And then scampers off. And there'd be saliva and on there'd his And there'd be saliva. Jacket. There would be teeth marks. And the cows would have already been scattered because they would have been scared. And he had, he did say he had, uh, the cat scratched him on his face. So obviously he- Or is that he, barbed wire? Maybe it could have been barbed wire, but his recollection when he was two was the cat got him. So I'm, I'm assuming there was some encounter with a cat of some kind, but maybe it was a black dog that looked like a cat. Okay. Because that's what they describe these creatures are in Malheur Butte. <laughs> kind of creepy, huh? Yeah. Maybe they like to move things around, but not eat them. Maybe. Maybe they were just like poking and prodding him a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. So my next story is a guy named Christopher Tompkins. This one's a little bit more disturbing than the first one. The first one, I feel like there could be some explanations. This one, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. This one's a little weird. Yeah. On January 25th, 2002, Christopher Tompkins was working for a surveying company in Elserly, Georgia. He was working with three other men in a wooded area of Highway 85. The men had stretched out in one long line on the road with about 50 feet between each of them. That's some social distancing. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Christopher was the last one in the line. The third guy in line periodically turned around and checked on Chris, but on the last time turning to see him, he was gone. He went over to investigate and called the others over too. There was no sign of Chris. There was a barbed wire fence that ran parallel to the road that they were on. They wandered down by the fence and found one of Christopher's boots that changed from his pockets and his tools. (laughs) (laughs) They looked and looked for Chris, but to no avail, they could not find him. They called in the authorities and a search was conducted, but the only thing they found was some torn cloth from Chris's pants on the barbed wire fence that where his boot was found. I'm seeing a lot of patterns here with barbed wired fences. Right? That's part of my theme today. Thank Ooh. you for noticing. Um, about five months after his disappearance, the owners of the fence property found Chris's second boot somewhere on their property, but that would be the last thing any anyone ever found of Christopher Tompkins. Ooh. And was there blood mm-hmm. anywhere? Nothing. So if he was murdered or attacked by an animal, then why didn't his coworkers hear him scream or find blood at the area? They didn't find anything. And if he's planning to take off, why kick off his boots and leave his change in his tools? That doesn't make any sense. No. And as Mr. Ballers pointed out on his YouTube channel, it's as if Chris was turned upside down and everything in his pockets was shaken out. Right. And his boots and tool belt were also removed. 
Christopher Tompkins has never been found. My theory equals aliens. Yes. <laughs> it's sounding more and more like that because yeah. that would explain then why one boot would be, as he's flying over the property, right? one boot is Right. Dropped. One boot's dropped here. But he had to have gone through the barbed wire fence because his pant got caught. There was some cloth from his pants on there. So it was a really low-flying alien Something ship. weird happened. Or maybe he got pulled by an alien, but they were close enough. They would have heard him scream. They would have heard the attack. There would have been blood. There would have been something. But he's gone. Oof. Never seen again. Bam. That's so unsettling. And it's weird that, like, the stuff in his pockets... So he had to have been upside down because the stuff in his pockets were all out and his tools were all out. Or he had to pee and... When took he his pants took off. Took his pants down. Um, they'd all fall out. I don't know. I don't know either. It's weird. It's a weird story. It's very odd. Yeah. Ooh, I want to hear more. Yeah. Do okay. you have any more? I do. I have two more, and these are both pretty weird. I mean, they're all weird, but um, yeah, these two, especially the last one, I think is probably the weirdest one. Okay, so the next one is Carl Landers. Uh, thank you to thestrangeoutdoors.com for your blog on this story. On May 25th, 1999, Carl Landers, a 69-year-old man from Orinda, California, and a few of his friends decided to hike to the summit of Mount Shasta. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Mount Shasta is, of course, located in Northern California. I just, know where it is. <laughs> just over the border <laughs> from Oregon by about 75 miles. Thank for you, Holly. You, and I've been there. For it those exists. Of, for those of you who don't know where Garden <laughs> of the Giants is or Giant Garden. It's what was Garden it? of the Gods. Gods. Garden of the Gods. Now you know where, where Mount Shasta is. Yeah, too. that's great. Mount Shasta is a very tall mountain coming in at an elevation of 14,179 feet. It's actually the second highest peak in the Cascade Mountain Range, the first mountain being Mount Rainier outside of Seattle. Oh, wow. Mount Hood, which is our closest mountain, is only number six. So we're kind of lame. I thought we had, I thought our Mount Hood was 14,000 feet. No? I don't know what its elevation is, but in terms of height, I guess it goes Mount Rainier, Mount Shasta, Shasta. a whole shit ton of other mountains, and then Mount Hood. Because yeah. a lot of them tied for third and fourth place and stuff like that. And Mount St. Helens, before it blew its top off, was pretty tall. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's probably down near the bottom somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> All the other mountains it's make fun of it. It's just a little molehill now. I guess Mount Bachelor is one of the shorter ones, too. Cool. Yeah, but all the other all the other mountains in the mountain range are like, oh, psh, Mount Mount St. Helens, you're so little, you're so little, you're just now. so little now. <laughs> yeah, they all make fun of it. So anyway, Carl was in great shape at the time of the hike. He was an avid runner and ran every morning. He even completed the Boston Marathon in five hours and thirty minutes. Oh wow, yeah, he would definitely go upstream. <laughs> yeah, he would. He would. <laughs> He had tried to climb to the top of Mount Shasta before, but was unsuccessful, so this time he was bound and determined to make it up there. He and two of his buddies decided to camp for the night at a camping spot just below the summit and then finish to the summit in the morning. This was quite common for hikers to do, as the elevation at the top of Shasta makes people quite sick. Carl was taking medication to help him combat the sickness caused by the extreme altitude. However, he was also battling dehydration as he was suffering from diarrhea. Oh. Yeah. So he had altitude sickness, diarrhea, and he was dealing with hypothermia from the cold and the wind on the mountain. See, that's that's the only thing about camping. If you have any body issues, you're just yeah, you're hating screwed. life. You're screwed. Hating life. You really want the comforts of home. When you're not doing so well physically. However, 
In the morning, when Carl woke up, he said he was going for it. Nothing was going to stop him from reaching the top, which was about two to three hours away from where they were camped. Wow. So he took off. His friends watched him around the bend, and that was the last time anyone saw anything of Carl Landers. When his friends ascended, about 30 minutes later, they were unable to find Carl along the way or at the top. Why didn't he wait for his friends? I'm not sure. Um, he, I can't remember... Um, if I read why, but he was just, he wanted to make sure he was going to make it because he hadn't made it before. Oh. So I think he had something to prove to himself. He had like smelly underwear and he was ashamed. Maybe. <laughs> so he wanted to go ahead. He was just like, I'm going to go up there and get rid of this diary. Yeah. Sorry guys, you're going to be yeah. downwind, but yeah. at least you'll be <laughs> you can an smell hour your way. Me. You can smell your way to me. Yeah. Uh, they then went back to their original camp spot, hoping he would be there and he was not. They then alerted the authorities. A search was launched. They used helicopters, ski patrols, horseback searchers, U.S. forest rangers, mountain wow. guides, and volunteers from all over to look for Carl. The helicopter pilot took numerous ski searchers up to the summit, dropped them off, and they would then ski down the mountain, each one taking a different route to look for Carl. They brought in search and rescue dogs to sniff out Carl's scent and got nothing. There were around 50 to 100 people up on the mountain the day he disappeared, and no one recalls seeing Carl. The area in which he was hiking was flat with no cliffs or drop-offs, so he could not have fallen off of the mountain. There was nowhere for him to fall. Okay, that is very odd. Very odd, right? There also wasn't much shrubbery or brush, so if he just laid down, someone would have seen him. There were wild animals on the mountain, but they all stayed at the lower elevations, so the idea of him being taken by an animal was far-fetched, too. Besides this, there was no evidence of an animal attack anywhere. It is not believed that Carl took off either, as Carl had left some items at the original campsite, and those items were still there, so they knew he had not come back to the campsite and taken his stuff and left. The search and rescue effort was headed up by a guy named, no joke, Grizz Adams. <laughs> Who has conducted 400 search and rescue operations. And oh. all of those 400, he has only failed to find any trace of two people. Wow. Carl Landers is one of those people. Grizz Adams said, referring to the mountain, quote, he either went up or in, but he's not on it. End quote. Up or in? Yeah. Isn't that an interesting quote? He either went up, like off the mountain. Off or the mountain. into the mountain, but he's not on the mountain. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> However, Carol, yes. there is one more possible explanation for Carl Landers' disappearance. Oh, do tell. Do tell. <laughs> God damn it. I'm so excited. I wanted to surprise you. Okay. Even though I knew that you knew that about Of that course childhood. I know. <laughs> Perhaps. There's not much I don't know, Holly. <laughs> I know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Perhaps he was taken by the Lumerians. Yes. The starseed people. That's, yes. The Lemurians who came before the Atlanteans. Yes. So it's no secret that the Native Americans have always revered Mount Shasta as a sacred spot. But did you know that there is another story about a race of people called the Lemurians, which clearly you do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> God but damn it. God damn our, it. <laughs> you know what? This story is for our listeners. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. Fine. Just ignore me, <clears throat> listeners. No, no, no. No, everything. No, is great. I want to hear. Okay. I don't know the full story. Well, I really don't either. In fact, maybe we should do a whole Lemurians episode. That'd be interesting. Uh, you know, I have a book. Do on you? The Lemurians. Oh, really? <laughs> it makes me think of lemurs. Yeah, maybe lemurs were part of Lemurians. That's what I'm thinking. They were. Apparently, they used to live 
on a continent in the Pacific Ocean. After their war went south with Atlantis, they yes. went to and fled to Mount Shasta. They moved inside a crystal city that sits within the mountain. Apparently, in the 1940s, the Lumerians were seen buying items at a local store. They were described as seven feet tall, dressed in flowing long white robes, sandals, and paying for their items with gold. Oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> it sounds like Jesus lives there, right? It's Jesus' people. It's Jesus' people. It is also believed that spaceships visit Mount Shasta to deliver goods to the Lemurians and are described as saucer-shaped clouds in the sky. Okay, so I've heard about the alien connection yeah. with Mount Shasta. I didn't yeah. know the Lemurians were oh, there. You, okay, so the, the, the Lemurians are apparently this alien race that live inside Mount Shasta. And when they need goods from their mothership, they show up in saucer-shaped clouds that mask them so they can get their goods inside the mountain. So my my theory about Carl Landers is that he saw his chance to join their society and he took it or they just simply took him. They're like, let's clean you up a bit, shall we? Like, we know you're having some body issues. Let's guy, heal you with our crystals. This guy is a marathon runner. Maybe yeah. he can teach us how to run really fast. Like, let's just take him. Like, no one needs to. Let's just like Carl, come with us. So that is the story of Carl Landers uh, disappearing on Mount Chesta. That is super mysterious and crazy just because, you know, there's so many hiking stories where people get in trouble on mountains I know. and they find them years later, a skeleton at the base of the mountain or on some weird ledge. But to have somebody disappear when it's completely flat, it's flat where he was no going ledges. was flat. There was nowhere for him to go. And no then animals. they searched all the trails, all the ski trails that that. Grizz Adams guy was like, dude, he's not up there. I would have found him. And there's only two people out of 400 he has found no trace of. And that guy's one. Well, I know who I'm calling if ever somebody goes missing. Grizz Adams. Grizz Adams. Or the Lemarians. <laughs> well, the Lemarians, we don't know what they're doing if they find you. I think if you just get your crystals out, you can communicate with them like that, right? Yeah. Eric Lewis is my last story. Again, strangeoutdoors.com. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Strange Outdoors. On July 1st, 2010, Eric Lewis and his two friends decided to scale an icy glacier face of Mount Rainier. Not smart. I don't think so either. They were all tied together with climbing rope. The first guy on the rope would set the climbing pace. Another man, the middle guy, would be tied to the middle of the rope. And the third guy at the end of the rope, who in our story was Eric Lewis. Mm -hmm. They were heading up the side of the mountain when the lead climber decided to stop and rest and wait for the other two to join him for a break. He was about 13,900 feet up the side of the mountain when he stopped. Eventually, the second climber showed up, so they waited for Eric together. He was taking too long to get there, so they pulled on the line. They realized that the line was quite light for a guy to be tied to the end of it, so they pulled it all the way up and found a butterfly knot at the end of the rope, but no Eric. He had unclipped from their rope. This was strange to them as they had just seen glimpses of him a few moments before the first climber had stopped to rest. So why did he detach from the rope? They thought Eric must be in trouble or something must be wrong. They started searching the slope, but to no avail, they could not find Eric. They returned to their camp and contacted the rangers for help. A huge search ensued, which include helicopters, climbing rangers, mountain guides, ground searchers, etc., Searchers did eventually recover Eric's backpack, shovel, and harness in a small snow cave 200 feet below where he went missing, but no Eric. He must have unclipped from the rope, 
made his way down to the snow cave, dropped off his stuff, and then what? The search and rescue teams looked everywhere for Eric that he could possibly be, but they found nothing. The other weird thing was they were able to find Eric's footprints going up the side of the mountain with his partners, but there were no footprints coming back down. So where did he go? Where did he end up? Why did he unclip from the rope or did he even unclip from the rope? We don't even know that much. Well, we know he had to have unclipped because he wasn't on the rope. Or did something just simply zap him off the mountain into its spaceship? Because Mount Rainier is known as a UFO hotspot. No, it is? It is. That's the missing story of Eric Lewis. And And he's been missing for 10 years now. I mean, all these guys are still missing. They can't figure out what happened to him. They put out people on ropes to scale mm-hmm. down the mountains and do the same route that they were doing and look at the snow caves and there's no, he's never turned up. They have no idea where he is. And what's weird is that he was attached to their line. Yeah. So, and they could see him down there. But when they went up to stop to rest, he was no longer down there. So to unclip from a, from a line like that is a big deal. Yeah, I'm not a mountain climber, but I would assume they would... I mean, I would think you would feel if somebody unclipped from your line. Right. Um, They said they didn't notice it until it took too long for him to come up. And then they pulled the line and they were like, wow, this is way too light. They pulled it all the way up and he wasn't on it. Those are my stories from the Missing 411 and Mr. Baller's YouTube channel, which I thought were really interesting. Now, he had other stories on there, too, that I thought were really good, but... um, those were the ones I was drawn to because I think the missing stories are really fascinating. Yeah, that's super spooky how yeah. somebody can just disappear into thin air. I've always been fascinated with stories like that because there's no body found. There's nothing found. And it's just weird. And even with animals. There's usually evidence something. of an animal attack. There's blood. There's bone. There's ripped clothes. I mean, there was a lot of stories for me to choose from. And I know that the guy um, that does... Missing 411, David Politis, he has been tracking, and I'm pretty sure he's the only person who's been tracking all of these disappearances into Mm -hmm. these forests. And some of these stories are really strange. Like, these were all strange stories, but there were even weirder ones out there. And one of the things he said, if I'm correct, is the reason why he started compiling all of these is he found that a lot of these national parks were not keeping records of the people who disappeared. And he thought that was really odd because... If somebody is disappearing from your parks, don't you want a record of it? Right. Especially how some of these people disappear with like zero trace. I mean, I suppose it can happen. Sure, of course. But um, some of these stories were even stranger. And like I said, you guys should just go check out his content because it is very fascinating and scary and disturbing. It will will, uh, actually will make you rethink going hiking or camping. Right. And, you know, I I know I've learned a lot from this. Number one, don't ever stray from the main trail. Two, always have a flashlight because that's my go-to. Terror tip. Three, never take the shortcut. Nope. Four, don't do anything at night, especially at 3 a.m. And don't don't go through the brush where the tarantulas live. And Fuck don't that. ever peek out your tent because no. you're going to be frightened by what you see. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Did you know what? Just stay in the city. Just stay in the city. <laughs> you can drive by the forest. Just stay around the campfire. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's safe. Don't right even go by to the campfire. the campfire. Just listen to me and Carol <laughs> tell you stories from around the campfire. We will bring the campfire. You don't to even have to go you. out there. We're doing there you, you a service by giving you the campfire the forest experience. connection that you don't have to risk your life to have. That is good. That's a great advertisement for I us. I think so too. We're okay. Signing Carol, up. Carol and Holly saving one camper at a time. There we go. <laughs>
<laughs> we should put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> As you usually do. As I usually do. A very dark path. A very dark and twisted and path of forloning, forlo- no. foreboding. Foreboding. Let's just take that out. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't go the way I was hoping it would. Knowing me, I would go down because I don't like exercising. Because you, like, you like going down? No. I- <laughs> <laughs> well, my last story um, I think is the most bizarre um, just because it really. Okay, stop fiddling with your mic. That That noise. That noise, it sounds like a thunderstorm coming. Holy. (laughs) We should just have like, instead of Josh put our campfire noises in, we'll just do like. (laughs) Our own homemade. (laughs) Here comes a tornado. (laughs) That's pretty good. We should, we should hire the guy from uh, the police academy movies that used to do all the, all the, the. The, the sound effects with his mouth, <laughs> like you're doing right now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts, and all dolls are definitely haunted. Hey guys, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode.